Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we want to see the love. We want to see the love all around us, and we know that one way to do that is through community and through loving our brothers and sisters. And Father, as we look at the story of Saul turned Paul and how you reached him on Damascus Road, we pray that you would help us to see your love and your efforts to reach each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. I don't know if she's watching this morning, but a, a happy Mother's Day. Um, something that my mother used to tell me, well, actually a lot of things that she used to tell me, <laughs> didn't become things that really meant anything until I experienced them myself. For example, paying bills. My mom used to talk about bills all the time. Bills, bills, bills. In fact, make sure you turn off all the lights in the house because you're gonna run up my bill. <laughs> And so I'd go around making sure those lights were, and now I'm, I'm trained now, so if I go into your house, I'm gonna turn off all the lights, all right? But make sure that if you leave a room, you hit the switch, okay? And I could be upstairs, she could be downstairs, and she'd be calling out, turn off the lights! <laughs> because she knew the lights were probably on and it was running up the bill. But I didn't feel the pain of that <laughs> until I became an adult, started paying my own bills. And then I knew, turn off those lights. <laughs> but also, she would also say, no one cares about your things the way you care about them. Right? I had this, uh, this friend in college and I had this cool little pocket Bible and she was still trying to decide what Bible that she wanted. So she's like, hey, can I borrow one of your Bibles? Of course I had a bunch of them. And I said, sure. A couple weeks later, get the Bible back. It was brand new, crispy, no bent pages, nothing. I get it back, covers half drooping off. <laughs> I said, all right, all right. <laughs> so it wasn't the same condition, but no one cares about your things the way you care about them. But similar to religious things or ideas or with this, with Jesus, Certain things don't mean anything until you experience them yourself. People can tell you about Jesus, 
I can tell you their story, I can tell you what happened, but until you experience it for yourself, that's when it becomes real. We've been talking about the resurrection and the, um, for the life of the world is the series we're going through now, Todd's been sharing. And there are some implications of the resurrection to our lives, but for context's sake, in the book of Acts, the problem was this. They did not, well, they being the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they denied the resurrection of Jesus. They did not want people to hear, to listen, to agree with the resurrection of Jesus. They wanted to act as if it didn't happen. And so in Acts chapter four, verse one and two, I'm just gonna read it briefly for you. And then verse 16 through 18, this is when the disciples, the apostles were going around healing and teaching and spreading the news of the resurrection. And the Bible says in Acts chapter four, verse one and two, and as they were speaking to the people, this is uh, Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were annoyed. And then verse 16 says, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed, they healed someone, and through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, this sign, and we cannot deny it, okay? We cannot deny that someone who couldn't walk before is now walking. <laughs> but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Question, <clears throat> why? Why are they so opposed to the preaching of Jesus? Well, it would destroy the foundation of their belief system. The Sadducees, who this was a group who did not believe in the resurrection, okay? If they were wrong about the resurrection, what else were they wrong about? An acknowledgement of being wrong is an affirmation of the words of Jesus being the blind are leading the blind. They don't know, right? It would demote them from being at the top of the power structure of religious society. They couldn't handle that. And for the Pharisees, which was another group, for the Pharisees, it would completely transform Judaism as it had previously been known. It would no longer be based, as they thought, on rites and rituals. It would no longer be focused on a system, but instead it would be focused on a person. If the resurrection was true, if Jesus rose from the dead, Judaism would have to change. Judaism would probably look something like early Christianity. So what does a religion built on a denial of truth have the potential to create? Well, it has the potential to create people like Saul, 
zealously misdirected. People ready to murder rather than listen. The Pharisees, Sadducees, and priests banded together to wage an an aggressive attack on those who embraced the truth of the resurrection. And we look, we go to Acts chapter 9. And let me put this plug in here. I'm not uh, speaking of Judaism in the context of Acts, not today. We have our friends, uh, I have many Jewish friends, and so not to confuse that. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, it says, But Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul didn't have to say with words that he denied the resurrection of the dead of Jesus. He showed it. Saul was in murderous opposition of the resurrection, which means he was in murderous support of Judaism. At all costs, we must defend it. He was defending the current understanding of the faith at all costs. This is what we believe. What Saul didn't realize is that you don't have to defend truth. Truth can fight its own battles. The truth of the resurrection was spreading like wildfire, yet here he was fighting to defend these particular beliefs. St. Augustine says this, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it, let it loose. It will defend itself. In the same way, Saul was not only defending his faith, he was also actively showing his denial that Jesus, I refuse to believe that a man raised from the dead. And today, surprising, but maybe not surprising, Christians often do the same thing. Many may profess a message that promises life, but live a lifeless faith. Christians with no joy confuse me. We preach a happy message, but we're not happy. Christians who who can't move forward from the mistakes that they made in the past are an enigma. Because the Bible says that God readily forgives us, but we can't forgive ourselves. Christians who worry too much have forgotten that God holds the world together with a word. Christians who only see barriers on a path to progress forget that mountains don't stop God. Did Christ not rise? The resurrection teaches us that impossible things are possible with God. For what hurdle is greater than death? What hurdle 
is greater than death. The way we live can indicate whether we deny the resurrection or we embrace it. But we, we've forgotten that. And for some of us, like Saul, we're serving God as if he still lives, as if he still remains in a tomb. But the story continues, verse three. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? That's a good question. Who are you, Lord? Saul spent his entire life learning about, learning about God. And then when God finally comes and talks to him, he says, who are you? Saul was serving a God he didn't know. He was serving a God he didn't know. In fact, Saul and a great number of believers, Christians, in my opinion, we are serving a God we don't know. We're doing this work and this work, serving here, serving there, but we don't know the person we're doing it for. And when you serve a God who you don't know, you're bound to get a number of things wrong. Fundamental things. When I was teaching, and I loved this, uh, the kids, they liked their teachers and they'd bring the teacher gifts. Please continue bringing gifts. No. <laughs> they would bring gifts. And it was, have you ever received a gift that you know you're not gonna use? <laughs> you're like, oh man, what am I gonna do with this? Thank you so much though, thank you. <laughs> and you know, initially they would bring me a lot of chocolate. Now, if you know me, I, I'm not big on chocolate. So I had like loads and loads of Hershey's and this, and I'm like, no, what am I gonna do with this? But by the time the middle of the year rolls around, the end of the year, they start bringing different gifts. Why? Because they know me now. Now, if you bring in some fruit snacks, that's a good gift. <laughs> but anytime someone brings a gift, right? It's kind of, uh, let me say it this way, serving a God you don't know will make an experience that is, is supposed to be personal very impersonal. Gift giving is a, a relationship building experience if it's done right. The gift offerings, they become reminders of how much the offerer knows you or doesn't know you. So when you bring a gift to God, it is indicative of whether or how much you know him or you don't know him. And so Saul, who had been serving God for years, yet when Jesus appeared, he didn't know who he was. He denied his divinity. He'd been serving God for years and he thought that hunting down people of the way to kill them and throw them in prison was reflective of the God that he was serving. 
He was so lost on what the character of God looked like. He was willing to murder on behalf of God. And he thought that was honor worthy. But there are many things today that people think are in harmony with Jesus, but it's, it's evident that they're serving a God that they don't know. And like Saul, we can be zealously misdirected and enthusiastically off course. But it continues, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Now, conversion happens when you finally encounter God for yourself. Paul is on the road to Damascus. God comes with this light, blinding light, and speaks to him. Saul's story is a revelation to us that the story of Jesus must be more than he say, she say. The story of Jesus must be more than a story. It must be an experience. I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. And um, <clears throat> at the first evangelistic series when I was about 11, in the midst of time prophecies and the beasts of revelation, <laughs> somewhere in between there, my heart was pricked. There was truth, there was truth in what was being said and I received it. And so I was baptized, I, wanted, I said, I'm ready, it's time, I wanna be baptized. So I got baptized. But by the time I had made it to college, religion was for the birds. It's like, I am all set. And little did I know that God had some different plans. Praise God for that. And so through a series of divine events, the story's very long, but I, this is the uh, cliff notes. Through a series of divine events, I found myself at a religious conference during the winter break of my first year in college. I didn't want to go, but one of the main attractions was that the preacher who was preaching when I was baptized at the age of 11 was the same preacher that was going to be at this conference. And so I said, you know what? Maybe. Ended up going. And... Uh, I skipped most of the meetings because, to be quite frank, it was boring. And one evening, one evening, some of the ladies that I was sharing a hotel room with, they asked me, so what do you think of the meetings? How's everything going? How are the talks and stuff? And I was like, ah, they're all right. <laughs> I was just like, you know, I'm just, I'm not really ready to, I'm not really ready to be a Christian like that. I still, I, I got a little life to live. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll become a Christian when I get a little older, I settle down, I have some kids, we'll go back to church. And so the very next meeting that evening, 
the preacher's preaching, and as I'm listening, I hear him repeat the words that I had just shared to those ladies, like verbatim. He said, you think you have? You think you'll come back to church when you get older? And I was like, hey, I just said all that. I looked around, no one's paying attention to me. It was like this little bubble. And I was feeling convicted. Feeling convicted. And you know, like many years later, I played the recordings back and he didn't say any of that. But that means God was speaking to me because I heard it. I heard it and he said two things. Who said you have tomorrow? Who said that there's a leader? And then he said, that's not the plan I have for you. So I was just sitting there. My heart was heavy. I thought I planned to be a dentist, make lots of money, open my own practice, do this, do that. I had it all mapped out. That's not the plan I have for you. From that day, nothing was the same. Nothing was the same. In Acts 2, Peter was preaching this message of Jesus and the resurrection, and the Bible says that the people were pricked to the heart. I was pricked to the heart. Pricked to the heart. I was convicted. God was speaking to me. Something had finally clicked. So after that day began a journey of transformation. Gradual, day by day by day. God had spoken and, spoken and I had heard him myself. It wasn't just what the Bible teachers had said. It wasn't just what, they, what, what these you know, older folk were saying in church about hanging on to the Lord. Now I had heard him. As Christians, our theology, our hope, is based on the resurrection. But the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and all its implications, they only become transformative for us when the story of Jesus' resurrection from the tomb becomes the experience in your heart. What does that mean? For me, Jesus was dead. And then one day, he rose to life, not just in the story, but in my heart. The Spirit of God was activated on the inside. He had entered. The same has to happen for you. Jesus needs to be resurrected in the heart, here. You know, our hearts can be graveyards, but don't let it be a graveyard. Let it be a sanctuary to house a living Jesus. A lifeless faith is one with a grave as the focus, 
Jesus conquered the grave, so now we focus on him. He has risen. He is alive. He reigns. The resurrection tells us that Jesus rose from the grave not simply to take up his residence in heaven, but to take up his residence in here. And Saul was hit so hard, his name changed, and he was never the same. From that day, Saul was never the same. Excuse me, Paul was never the same. Paul, the name means little. He went from being this big Pharisee, Pharisee of Pharisees, running, capturing people, throwing them in prison, doing this, doing that, to this humble servant who God used to change the world. When you encounter Christ, you shouldn't stay the same. Slowly, little by little, day by day, you start changing. And so, Saul, who didn't believe the resurrection, after he ran into Jesus, Paul did. So my question is, do you believe in the resurrection? What does the resurrection mean to you? Is it a story about a miracle a long, long time ago? Or is it something you've experienced in your own life? You can answer this for yourself. And I pray that your answer is you have experienced the risen Jesus. Amen.